All right, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. As I shared with you last time, the first five chapters uh, that we've already gone through uh, seem to be focused on the subject of justification, how we are made right with God. And that, of course, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, beginning now in chapter 6 and going through chapter 8, Paul is going to shift over to the subject of sanctification. And this, of course, is the process of being made holy. This is the practical effect of those who are saved. Now, positionally, as many of you know, we are already declared righteous by God, but practically, we all have a lot of work to do. And so being justified or being saved or being forgiven, that was simply the beginning of our relationship with the Lord. Well, in our last time here in Romans, uh, we had just begun uh, chapter 6, and we spent our time just looking at the first couple of verses. Now, just to do a quick review, Paul began here in verse 1, Okay, we just begun chapter uh, 6, and as we were in chapter 1, it seemed as he, or I'm sorry, verse 1, it was as if Paul automatically put himself on the defense. He somehow anticipated a form of opposition. He anticipated a critic, if you will, of his theology. Why is that? It's because Paul constantly taught that salvation started okay, with God's grace and it continued with God's grace, which means nowhere in between did the Mosaic law ever play a part. Now, was the law beneficial? Absolutely, right? It was God's law that would convict us of our sin and it would lead us to Jesus Christ, Galatians 3.24. But it would end right there. Paul has taught thus far, as you know, that we are justified by grace alone, right? Through faith alone in Christ alone. Okay? It's important we understand that. It was because of that that he's, he makes these statements that some believe that Paul had dismissed the moral law of God. Grace, 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 grace. Paul is just kicking to the curb the moral law of God. And in their minds, part of that evidence is based on what Paul said right there at the end of chapter 5 in verse 20, where Paul said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Certain people were going to take those words thinking, well, shoot, if there's no law, we can just keep sinning because, I mean, what the heck, right? God's grace will just keep covering it. This is the mindset. This is what some people were going to think. And so what Paul does, starting in chapter 6, verse 1, is he asks the question that he knows his critics are going to ask. He knows they want to ask this question, and then he just simply answers it. Okay, so read with me verse 1, the very beginning of verse 2. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase? That, of course, is the question he assumes that they're going to ask because of what he's been teaching. We could just We could just keep sinning that grace may increase. And of course, Paul's answer is, by no means. Now, other translations might say, may it never be, or certainly not, or God forbid, okay? But probably in English, the best way to phrase that is, absolutely not. Shall we just go on sinning? No, no. You see, folks, Paul's answer here in the Greek suggests the strongest declaration of rejection. Okay? We don't see it as much here, like by no means or God forbid. I mean, it's almost like you need to put emphasis on that. That's why I'm saying absolutely not, is what Paul is saying. It carries a sense of outrage that any notion of this kind could ever be thought of. As true. Almost, almost as if he's saying, how dare you think such a thing? Right? One commentator put it, the thought of a believer living in sin is to take it, as to take advantage of God's grace was abhorrent to Paul. William Hendrickson says he's disgusted by the very suggestion. That's the power in that, that phrase of how powerful of a rejection it is. It's like he's just disgusted for someone to even think that. Well, not only does Paul shut down uh, this thought that somehow he's misusing God's grace, you'll notice he then says in verse 2, after he says, absolutely not, he says, why? He says, because we died to sin, Right? He says, of course you don't continue to live in sin that grace may abound. No, we died to sin. So he's saying here, at the time of our salvation, at that that point in our personal history, we died to sin. We, We separated ourselves from it. We renounced our allegiance to sin. Remember, folks, there was a time in our lives when that's all we knew was sin right? But we renounce that at our time of faith. Now, that obviously does not mean that we are free from sin. It means that sin's power is no longer dominating our lives. We no longer live in sin. It no longer governs. It no longer controls our everyday lives. And that, of course, is why he finishes the verse by simply asking the question, how can we live in it any longer? Right? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? So Paul is saying that there is an incompatibility here. Right? He says believers cannot live in sin if they have died to it. There's a problem with that. See? You can't live in sin when you have died to it. The thought that a Christian can continually or habitually live in the same sin as before he was saved makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, how can can we be born again, right? What we know as a rebirth spiritually. How can we be considered a new creation in Christ and yet live somehow in a perpetual state of sin? That makes no sense. Matter of fact, John is very clear of this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. 
He says, no one who was born of God will continue to sin. That, that literally means to practice sin. No one who is born of God will practice sin. He says, because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning, he says, because he has been born of God. You see, folks, it's one thing to fight the battle as we all do, okay? And occasionally we all do fall to the flesh. It's something else completely to actually never even be in the fight. It's almost like there's no battle because we constantly choose sin. That doesn't make any sense for the believer. Well, that's where we ended last time, and so we're going to pick up there this morning by looking at verses 3 and 4. I just want to finish this little short section this morning. And Paul is going to expand on this thought, okay? He's going to take the statement, we died to sin, to another level, okay? He's going to take what happened to Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and of course his resurrection, and spiritually speaking, he's going to apply that to you and me. Well, let's begin by looking at verse 3. Now remember, in the middle of verse 2, Paul said, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And now he says, or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Now, the very first part of that statement is really affirming who Paul is talking about. He even includes himself here, you'll notice. He says, those of us, right, Paul includes himself, those of us who were baptized, he says, into Christ Jesus. Okay, this is who he's talking about. This is who he's going to be talking about throughout the remainder of the sermon. And so these are not people. Uh, who simply attend a worship service, okay? These are not simply religious people. These are not uh, people who, uh, they just affiliate themselves with titles, Baptist or Nazarene or, or Presbyterian, okay? Based on what Paul is going to say, it is specifically those who have been, as I mentioned earlier, born again, those who have repented of their sins and have placed their trust fully in Christ and in Christ alone. So now, those people, true Christians, what does he say? He says they were, that's past tense, they were baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, the problem is, the problem here, as I'm sure none of you will be surprised, is there are people out there who will instantly say that this is evidence of what we typically call baptismal regeneration. Those who believe you must be baptized uh, in order to be saved. Well, if that was so, um, <laughs> that would contradict, I can't tell you how many other scriptures uh, so we know that is not the case. But also specifically what Paul spoke of right here in Romans in chapters 3 through 5, because baptism would certainly be put under the category of works. Okay, And Paul has completely denounced that. 
And of course, that in itself is also besides the point that to add anything to Jesus is to deny the sufficiency of the cross. To me, that is the most powerful statement. You add anything, I don't care what it is, to Jesus, you're denying the sufficiency of the cross. When Jesus said to telestai, for those of you who are going to be taking Greek, when he said to telestai, it is finished. That's it. It's finished. It's done. The debt's been paid. It's over. See, baptismal regeneration has always been denied by Scripture. Now, that being said, on a personal level, I do wish the translators did not use the word baptize because like many words in Scripture, so many Christians see a word in their Bible and they instantly go one direction, right? Most people will see a word, baptize, boom, what goes in their minds? Water. <laughs> There's many words like that that happen in Scripture. And so we, we look at things that way, okay? But the reason, though, that they did, or he did, use the word baptize is because the word baptize there, it is a transliteration of the Greek word baptizo. Okay, so it's a transliteration, not necessarily a translation. Okay, and simply, as you guys know, it means to immerse. Baptizo means to immerse. Okay, now, when this does apply to water baptism. This is why sprinkling doesn't matter. This is why sprinkling is wrong. Okay, the word in itself doesn't even mean that. This is why, or I should say the reason why we dunk people. <laughs> we immerse them, we submerge them, okay, because of the very word and what it means. But here in our text this morning, it's spiritually significant. Paul says that in the past, and this, of course, is at the time of their salvation, the time of our salvation, he says, in so many words, we were immersed into Christ. Okay? That's the whole point of it. We were immersed into Christ. We were identified with Christ. And so once again, symbolically speaking, in obedience to Christ... When we were baptized, and I hope that's the case for everybody here, as you guys know, we were making a public proclamation to everybody out there saying we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ, right? A lot of people, like when I was baptized, I shared my testimony because I had a pretty raunchy past, as you guys know. But for most people, as we're being baptized, some people will just share their testimony. He'll ask you if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you may share a word or two. But you're saying to whoever was there, I am born again. I am identifying myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And symbolically speaking, as you know, what happens when you go down into the water, you're identifying, that's that word, you're immersing yourself, you're identifying yourself with his death and burial. When you come up out of the water, you're identifying yourself with his resurrection. So listen, all of that is symbolic, yet it is real at the same time. We are not physically dying. We are not physically being buried and then rising from the dead. 
But we were identified with, we were immersed in, uh, spiritually connected to the one who did. You and I didn't just die, buried, and rise. But we're now connected with the one who did, see. And we see this in what follows. Look at the rest of verse 3. First he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus, what does he say? We're baptized into his death. Folks, the day that we placed our faith in Christ, we were, quote, baptized, or the meaning of the word, we were immersed into Christ, and therefore, his death. Okay? Listen, folks, because we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, guess what? We died. That's what his point is. When Christ died, we died. When Jesus hung on that cross and ultimately breathed his last, it was just as if we did. God accepted Jesus' death as if we ourselves we're dying on that cross. We know that from that old word, propitiation. We, we, uh, Jesus satisfied God's righteous demands, right? But in that, God accepted his death for ours. But it was as if we died. When Christ died, it was as if we died. And I, as I have mentioned prayer, I believe uh, in chapter 3, Many of us understand this as substitutionary atonement, right? He was our substitute. What happened to Jesus is if it were happened to us, which is simply what he says. We were baptized into his death. Folks, listen, there really is a, a, a union, a, a real union between Jesus Christ and the believer, True Christians are not just people who have some intellectual belief about Jesus, who just have some kind of a head knowledge of Jesus because they heard stories growing up or their parents sent them uh, to Sunday school. This is why a lot of times we use the words, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not a cliche. And Christians have a lot of cliches. That is not a, cl a cliche. We actually do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It really is that kind of a connection. Okay? Many of you know Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Well, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? I've been crucified with Christ. We know Paul wasn't literally crucified, but he says, I've been crucified with Christ. And therefore he says, I, Paul, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying here that Christ lives out his life through him as he walks by faith. Okay? 
That's, that's what it's like to, to be immersed or joined together with Christ. There's that constant connection between us. Matter of fact, still in Galatians, the, the very next chapter, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, Paul uses that word again. He says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ, right? He says that you have been clothed with Christ. Okay? By being clothed with Christ, he's saying in one aspect, you have put on Christ. You have been covered. We have been uh, enveloped in Christ. I mean, you talk about a, a deep and abiding connection that we have with him. Okay? That is the concept that Paul is trying to get across. The believer who identifies himself with Jesus Christ through faith is supernaturally clothed, immersed, identified with Jesus Christ. MacArthur says that is a graphic way to describe how Christ's life, his presence, and righteous nature envelop the believer. See? Sometimes people think, this is why I say Christianity is not a religion. Right? I know the world, under its definition, it is a religion. But it's not because it's diametrically opposed to what religion is. Right? You guys know religion is always what man is doing to try to reach God. Christianity is what God did to reach man. We, we recognize there's nothing we can do to reach Christ. Nothing. And so it's completely different than the world is. So it's not simply just a belief. Well, I believe this, and then you believe that, and then it's like people today, we have this thing called, was it deconstruct? It's a deconstruction? De uh, I forgot, Christians just saying, I'm no longer a Christian now, right? I'm going to believe this now. It's just people who have a head knowledge of something. Here's some information. Um, I choose B. I like that. That's not what Christianity is. It is a relationship, right? It's that in, we've enveloped ourselves. We've been immersed, hence the word baptized, immersed in Christ. But to no surprise, our deep-seated connection with Christ does not end with his death. Let's look at verse 4 again. He says... Just as Christ was raised from the dead. Actually, let me back up. Let me just read verse 4 again. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, the very first part of that verse is basically saying, in a simple way, since we have died with Christ, we were also buried with him. Here again, through what he calls, right? He says baptism, okay? All of this starts, folks, with what was stated in verse three. He says, all of us were baptized, all of us were immersed into Christ Jesus, which simply means that all of us are partaking in what he did, okay? First, he already said we were immersed into his death. Now he's saying we are also immersed into his burial, okay? 
that immersion, that relationship, that, that deep connection that we have, it doesn't change. Whatever Jesus did on our behalf, that means it is accepted by God as if we ourselves completed that act. Because Jesus, I, understand, I hope you understand this, because Jesus' actions were 100% for us, he didn't need to do anything for himself. He never sinned. He didn't need to anything of that nature. So because his actions were 100% for us, because you and I could never save ourselves, God was gracious enough to apply what Jesus did to our account. When Jesus Christ died, when Jesus Christ died, we died. When Jesus Christ was buried, we were buried, he's saying at this point. Okay? Listen, folks, the burial of Jesus was the actual proof that he died. Have you guys ever thought about that? The burial was the proof that he died. Matter of fact, when sharing the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, Paul did not leave that out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, this is, verses 1 through 5 is just a straightforward declaration of the gospel. But he says in verses 3 and 4, Paul says, For what I received, I passed on to you as, listen, first importance, he says. This isn't just bypassing stuff. This isn't just something simple I want to share with you. He says, I'm passing this on to you as of first importance, numero uno. Okay? He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, that he was raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures. He didn't skip it, he died. And he was buried. That's an important part. See, and then he rose from the grave. And so the Christian's burial, quote unquote, with Christ also shows that we too, in fact, have died with him. And therefore, to our former way of living, or maybe I should say our sinful ways of living. Okay? This is why he said in verse 2, we died to sin. How can we therefore live any longer in it? Right? The burial expresses finality. Hence the last half of verse 4. We died with him. We were buried with him, he says, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you see how he phrased that? He said Christ was raised from the dead, so we too may live a new life. So besides that great statement, of course, of how Christ has risen from the grave, he defeated death, he proclaimed victory over death, he connects with that, we too may live a new life, he said. Now, there are, real quick, there are two things to mention here. Number one, just like Christ's death and his burial, his resurrection also applies to you and me, right? It's not just part of it, it's all of it. His resurrection was very real, wasn't it? 
His resurrection was very physical. And by the way, that's important. That's an essential, that's an essential of the Christian faith. Christ rose physically. Christ rose bodily. Like, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that. They believe Christ rose in spirit. No, he didn't. He rose physically. Okay? He was seen by hundreds of people following those days. But for you and me, it was, it was a spiritual reality, wasn't it? Yes, it was his resurrection, but it was also ours, he says. One commentator state, uh, stated that God made it so we actually participated in it. This is why we use the word immersed instead of the word baptized. We were immersed in it. See? As with his death, as with his burial, when he rose, we rose. And therefore, the most important part, God himself saw Jesus' resurrection as if it was ours. We understand the term substitutionary atonement. We understand the substitute, but, but it, it's when, when Jesus died, he looks at it and he says, Darren died, Victor died, Bonnie died, Z died. And then they all rose. But there's a second part. Paul says, because he rose, we too may live a new Life. That actually means to walk in a newness of life is what that means. It, this has to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, there's those words again, right? If any man is in Christ, he is, not might be, not should be, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Folks, this is, this is in the here and the now for you and me who've come to faith in Christ. Because of his resurrection, the one who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ is not who he used to be. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. The person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ is not who they used to be. Now, that is certainly um, different with each person. There's no cookie-cutter sanctification, okay? For those of us, like myself, who lived to a higher level of depravity before we were saved, uh, we have been able to see a transformation, a traumatic transformation that happened in our lives. Even today, 30 years later, I'm still amazed because I know more than anybody who I used to be, how I used to think, what I used to say, how I used to treat people, the words I used to, and how that's, that's gone. It's amazing to see what God has done. See? There's no question, folks, that a relationship with Christ is life-changing. It is an amazing reality that what happened to Christ physically has literally, in the eyes of God, been applied to you and me, if you will, spiritually. And in closing, let me just say that Christ's literal physical resurrection does not just have an, I just had to throw this part in, does not just have an effect on us spiritually. 
You know that? Because we, we, we're taking this, it applied to us spiritually. You and I did not die. We weren't buried. We weren't risen from the grave, but we have been immersed in Christ. But it won't just affect us spiritually, but also physically. Because you know why? Because you and I will one day rise as well. We too will rise. We will have a glorified body. When we die, or if we die today, we will go to be with the Lord, but that would be in spirit. We won't have a physical body if we die today. But on that faithful day, we will have that glorified body, and we will have a body that is prepared to be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, it's, uh, I think for many people, it's, it's hard to fathom when we go through certain texts. And this is why I've always stated that, you know, Romans is without question the, the deepest theological book in the New Testament. And Lord, it's, it's different, I think, when we say we were baptized into Christ or immersed in the Christ and his death and his burial. And Lord, I just hope that if anything, we, we take it to understand that we have been so blessed we're the ones that should have hung on the cross. We're the ones that needed forgiveness. And so the very fact that Christ died, you and your mercy, you and your grace looked at Christ and saw us, and it's as if we died, we were buried, we rose. Boy, you talk about undeserving. But Lord, we have been in that sense immersed, identified with Jesus Christ. What a great thing that is. Even though it's a, it's a spiritual reality, Lord, that, that you have looked at us in a certain way, we thank you, Lord, for that. We give you the thanks because, uh, yes, we are undeserving. And it is amazing that Christ, perfect, God in human flesh, sinless, went to that cross and did it. And yet you took it, Lord. You took that. You were satisfied to say, you know what? I'm going to take that death and apply it to those who place their faith in me. Wow. And uh, Lord, we are a blessed, blessed people. And we want to thank you and give you the glory for it. And we thank you, Lord, that you have given us a new life in Christ. It's a process. We know it is sanctification. But Lord, not only do you change us instantly as we are justified, but it begins that process where you continue to change us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, we would not be the same people that we were last year and the next year we won't be the same people we were this year and on and on as you would continue to change us and we give you the thanks in jesus name amen